0: Hello, Fresh Ed listeners, David Edwards, General Secretary of Education International here, wishing you all a very happy World Teachers Day, a very different World Teachers Day given the COVID-19 pandemic. We're doing it online, virtually, around the world, in many languages, and we'd love for you to participate. The website is www.5oct.org. Look forward to seeing you there. This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas and educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Children today are inundated with technology. Video games, smartphones, and computers are some of the commonplace technologies that can be found in the everyday lives of today's digital generation. With school closures from the COVID 19 pandemic, learning from home only added the screen time overload for many children. So how do children and young people use and are affected by technological transformations in their everyday lives? How are schools and education systems adapting to these changes? And what might we learn from the coronavirus when it comes to technology and education?
1: And does this online aspect or this technology aspect mirror what is already happening offline and how do we deal with some of the online versus the offline uh, issues how do we deal with young people's um, well-being in general and and do those do those uh, mimic each other or is social media or gaming contributing to something that is already existing uh,
0: within society with me to discuss some of these questions is Hatla Homer's daughter, a professor in the Faculty of Education and International Studies at the Oslo Metropolitan University in Norway. She is currently the coordinator of a large scale European research project funded by Horizon 2020 entitled The Impact of Technology Transformations on the Digital Generation, what they call DigiGen. The DigiGen project focuses on the impact of digital technology on the lives of children and young people, primarily in Europe. Hala, Homer's daughter. Welcome to Fresh Ed.
1: Thanks, Will. Great to be here.
0: So when COVID forced schools across Europe to close, did did most schools sort of shift online quite quickly and easily?
1: Well, that's a good question. (laughs) Um... I wouldn't say that most schools shifted easily. Um, A lot of the schools shifted, of course. Um, We have research showing that a lot of the teachers, of course, worked really hard to to get a lot of the teaching online. But I think what we're seeing across Europe is a really um, geographical divide, in a sense, whereas in some countries, so I'm located in Norway, We're relatively well off. We had good infrastructure. Uh, Most of the schools had um, um, computers. A lot of the homes had, um, you know, uh, technology in them. But we have countries such as uh, in the south part of Europe, such as Greece, which has relatively um, a lack of infrastructure in terms of homes being connected. Uh, schools being connected in Romania uh, we have what we call about probably 25% of children who were not reached during uh, covid so i think what we're, we were we were seeing was a really divide in terms of what countries could do
0: hmm interesting so so there's some sort of digital divide within europe between countries and and what about within countries are there certain you know more rural parts of certain countries that lack this sort of digital infrastructure that makes online learning possible?
1: Oh, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, let's take Europe as an, an example. So, uh, the highest proportion of households, for example, with internet access in, in 2018, um, we have uh, data that shows that countries like the Netherlands um, have really high access, while countries like the, the UK, Germany, Finland, and Denmark um, report that, yeah, nine or nine out of ten households have internet but then we have countries such as bulgaria which uh, reports say 72 percent cyprus romania greece portugal which also have really low numbers Hmm. in terms of internet uh, capacity and then of course there are the rural urban uh, divides whereas in some countries um the infrastructure is just not there so maybe we could call it even a I mean, what we generally called it was a homework gap, but I think now we're calling it an education gap in some ways.
0: And so when, when it was called a homework gap, what did that mean?
1: Well, it meant that maybe as more and more teachers were using digital you know digital tools and and requiring that of children in terms of, of you know, go online, look for this, do that. you know you don't have the family encyclopedia anymore. That was the divide of children. Uh, maybe in our generation, where you know your family had the home encyclopedia where others had to go to the library, but now you have you know go online and Google this or look for that or um, write a report or make a pre- uh, PowerPoint presentation. So, when your teachers are requiring that, we have to understand that parents have the infrastructure at home to allow children to mm. do that mm. and so in that way it was probably called the homework gap at, at that point but now when we have less um, when we have all or a lot of the education going online then the gap is more an education gap rather than
0: just a homework gap. right it's not just simply doing the homework at home after school it's actually school itself which becomes the gap being able to even access the online learning
1: it's exactly and then, of course, we have different kinds of divides, you know, different, what we call levels, or we've gone through different levels of divide in, in, within countries. Such as? And, well, I mean, initially we talked about uh, the digital divide as being what we call the first uh, digital divide, which was linked to access and connectivity. I, in many countries, we have that now, but of course, as I just said, not all countries, we still have that kind of divide um, geographically. Whereas some countries, both schools and homes, don't have that access and connectivity. We also then have what we call the second level divide, which is more the readiness and the skills. So the skill set that enable people to use technology. And so that education provides young people with those skills. Hmm. Um, we have a third level divide, which is generally um, referred to in terms of digital use. So in other words, it concerns the nature of technology, how that is integrated into student learning. Some researchers call this the social or cultural benefits derived from accessing and using the Internet. Mm. So we can kind of, kind of think about it as a kind of cultural capital in some ways. And now we're sort of starting to see some discussions of uh uh, around researchers talking about a fourth-level divide, which, which deals with more issues of representation. So, in, a, in other words, do we include the spectrum of uh, experiences and perspectives from different kinds of students? Uh, do we look at representation in terms of different ethnicity? We can we can talk about the way in which technology is designed and who is designing the technology. Mm. Uh, generally, it's been young male White men, uh, few women in the, in the technology industry. We are starting to see more women, but do we see a lot of people of color? So, so the representation aspect is now coming up and starting to be discussed hmm. as a, another possible divide.
0: Interesting. So these four different levels of divide that then sort of cut in different ways across Europe, and I would imagine other countries as well. But so in Europe, like, do we know anything about why these divides even exist
1: well, I think it just has to do with the with the the infrastructure. I mean, if we look at some of the countries um that have relatively poor uh, access to say internet connections or territories, so then we have countries such as uh, in southern Europe. So many of the the sort of middle northern European countries. Uh, of course, Germany is a country which is really interesting case. It's a huge country and it has divides within within the country of course but we have countries such as finland denmark luxembourg sweden they are not uh but also the uk they're not they're relatively smaller countries Hmm. and then we have larger countries which are both new to the eu but also in the southern part of europe um and in some ways countries that are more rural um than some places, so you have Greece, Cyprus. Of course, is a small country, but you have a country like Romania or Bulgaria, which have huge inequalities in the country. So I think it it builds on the existing inequalities that exist within society, and then it you know it accentuates when we come to the technology aspect. So basically, the online offline.
0: Right, right, and is is there anything that has to do with the way in which these different countries fund? Their education system and how much they might invest in these various digital infrastructures
1: well i would think so uh, of course we haven't really looked into that uh specifically or at least i don't have a, a lot of information on that personally um, but i would i would say from discussions with colleagues working in some of these countries um there is a huge needs gap so Germany is a country which has, is relatively you know, well off. It's the, it's the engine of Europe in some ways, in terms of industry. Um, but it's a country that hasn't used a lot of money in, in providing infrastructure in all the schools. So we, we find a really, a surprisingly big gap between, let's say, Norway, uh, which has a lot of um, geographical variations, but is was one of the earlier countries being you know uh, uh, had connections internet connections very early on both in in rural areas and in schools but Germany has not really funded that as you know that area so much so we can see quite a number of differences between countries and then you have countries such as Romania which which just had so much to do uh, in terms of you the different kinds of populations and the inequalities in society, I think it was really difficult or it might be, it's challenging to to provide that infrastructure to to all the areas at the same
0: time. Hmm, hmm. And so, I mean, beyond education planning, you know, at the national level within these different countries across Europe, what about inside schools? Are there any sort of worries or challenges that arise out of, you know, the use of digital technologies or, you know, some of these the the lack of digital technology infrastructure inside certain schools like so what are some of the challenges that happen inside schools rather than at the national level
1: well i think that's an interesting question because when we talk about digital technologies we we it's often a very polarized discussion in some hmm. ways so you have when we talk about technology uh, both in schools but also how it affects children and young people what often comes to mind is the aspect of screen time. Mm. The American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines, which came in 1999, were updated in 2016, which talked about screen time, you know, the evidence. And this is what a lot of parents and families, you know, first go to, whether, with, whether they realize where it comes from or not, it's the screen time. And it often strikes me that some version of this or the guidelines surface when we talk to both teachers and parents, but also policy makers. People don't realize where this, this sort of discussion uh, comes from. So I think many parents cha- are sort of challenged by allowing their children too much screen time. And so by, by increasing the, the technology within schools, it kind, of, it kind of pushes back against what some parents at least feel is healthy for their children. Hmm. Um, but also, I think teachers also, you know, struggle with this aspect of of screen time. So you know, from the use of tablets for teens being glued to their mobile phones, or video games being addictive, or the 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 uh, worries about social media apps. So screen time obviously is a hot topic. But then on the other hand, we're we're willing to look at. You know, the idea of, of technology being a, an important thing for our young, children and our young people. So the fact that they need to have these tools, they need to have be able to, to access the internet, to be able to develop these kinds of skills because this is what the world of work requires. So I think it's part of the challenge is that balance.
0: Yeah, I would imagine it's quite difficult. I mean, particularly if you have children at home that are, playing video games on their cell phones all the time, reading on the iPad, and then they go to school and they're being put in front of computer screens. Um, and this is even before COVID. I mean, now after, during COVID, students are literally just, you know, sitting in front of computer screens all day long to go to school. So, I mean, I can see, I mean, it sort of makes sense why parents would be concerned with this.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I, I fully understand parents, uh, you know, worries, um, but also, I think for teachers, it's been a challenge. This, I think, COVID has sh- has pushed us probably ten years forward, mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, we have we have pushed teachers and education institutions to a place that, yes, they were going to, but in a in a slower pace. Um, I think also part of the challenges have been the fact that there have been no sort of. Uh, what we we call it in a sense a kind of policy or guidelines both for teachers and parents are so we've heard reports of, of parents saying well I have one kid in this school and they're using that platform and this software and then I have another kid in this school and they're using that software and that platform. So, so it's also the range of things that are being used within schools that teachers use, that schools decide to use, so, so there's not a sort of standard set of tools either. Hmm. And, and this requires both parents uh, and teachers to be, you know, I, I wouldn't say on the same page, but certainly it requires a kind of discussion. Um, between parents and teachers
0: and and this even happens at university levels like where i teach each sort of course that's being offered has a different approach to their teaching and learning and we just sort of assume that students will just get it and understand it even though they're going from one course to the next and it's sort of totally um, structured differently uses different tools um, even if it is on the same platform, but it's still sort of structured differently on that platform. And I find that, you know, I can sympathize with students, even who are, you know, in their 20s and 30s, um, probably struggling grasping how to navigate all these new technologies to to simply go to class
1: yeah and i think that's 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 perfectly understandable i mean Mm. we we talk about the digital generation but uh, okay they're born in the digital generation but it's (laughs) not an automatic thing so you know i'm i'm feel I'm pretty techie myself but I don't always understand everything how do I change my picture on zoom for example I had to google that you know and how do I find you know simple things of course but but how do we you know and what do we expect of of 10 year olds or 20 year olds or 15 year olds or or even even you know first graders uh that's a huge challenge how how does a teacher that has to then transfer his or her teaching online for six-year-olds deal with this um, and how you know We've heard reports of teachers being called in, you know, at five o'clock in the afternoon. They have no, they ha- there's no downtime, of course, for teachers during this, this COVID period, you know, and children complaining, well, my parents are on the computer all day because they're working, you know, and I'm bored and, you know, I just want to talk to you. And I mean, it must be really hugely challenging for a lot of our teachers.
0: Mm. So how might, and how are some of the countries in Europe overcoming some of these challenges?
1: Well, I think for some countries it was, you know, for, at least I can say for our case here in Norway, we, we were quite well-infrastructured, and, and, but there were, there were schools, there were students who didn't have the, the infrastructure at home, so there, there was the possibility to, to deliver um, computers and screens and so on and so forth. In Romania, we have twenty five percent of children, as I said, who had no schooling. So, ha- trying to reach those children, Estonia talks about a thousand lost children that they, wow. you know, didn't manage to sort of pick up uh, during the beginning of, of COVID. So, so I think we need to think about what were some of the best practices. How could how could we? But we need to have that infrastructure available to be able to to do that to be able to provide the tools. Um, And the resources in countries like Belgium and Norway, they kept some of the schools open during the the absolute lockdown in, say, early March, April for groups of students that were either whose parents were frontline workers, were healthcare workers or uh, workers that that were desperately needed within to keep the society going, but also for children who were within what we would Want to call vulnerable positions or vulnerable groups, um for for different reasons. So so that there was a possibility to have have them in school, hmm. Hmm. but it was a really small group in these two countries, for example.
0: Right, right. I mean, there's just it seems like there's so much unknown, not you know not only about the health impacts of coronavirus on young people, and actually just people generally. Um, but also in terms of ways of teaching and learning and, and conducting education during this moment online. I mean, there's just so much unknown, and yet we still have to sort of go and do it, right? We still have to provide education. Teachers are still going to school or teaching classes. And so it's just this moment of great uncertainty. And, and I, I, I don't know, it's a bit worrying in my mind.
1: Oh, definitely. and And I think, you know... I mean, we have to look at, uh, I would say, young people's sort of well-being and, and, mm-hmm. and their health. It's not just our young people, though. I think it is our teachers. It is Absolutely. those, those, those uh, teachers are reporting, you know, overworked, overstressed, um, not really. I mean, uh, even us working in higher education, when is our downtime? When is our, our work time? It sort of all flows into one big thing uh and i think we're seeing a lot of that a lot of discussions on social media um both from students and teachers um perhaps not the younger students but certainly older students who are who are you know active in social media but also university students who are you know sort of <clears throat> dealing with issues of of loneliness of mental health of mm. sort of general well-being uh, during this this situation but I think that that sort of also reflects our society in general maybe um, even pre-pandemic you know where we have to look at how technology is is affecting our society in general
0: so what uh, what what do we know about that what do we know about particularly youth and their use of technology and social media before the pandemic and its impact on 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 well-being of children and youth
1: well, I think given the, the diversity of, of people contained within what we would call the youth group um, for, for, for us to design sort of um, or for us to be able to understand their situation, I think we have to kind of look into the different types of groups we have to consider, you know, gender, racial, ethnic diversity socioeconomic background uh, and particularly those that are affected maybe by inequality uh, but also those that are affected by a lack of opportunity perhaps mm. to to participate within societies so I think I think the the use and some of the the, the contention we hear, hear about um, we have the aspect of social media on the one hand but we also have sort of gaming and the gaming addiction kind of discussion on the other hand. And, and generally we talk about that in terms of youth or young people. Um, and we have to look at though these different background factors, uh, who's affected and how they are affected and why they are affected. And does this online aspect or this technology aspect um, mirror what is already happening offline? And how do we deal with some of the online versus the offline uh, issues? How do we deal with young people's um, well-being in general? And mm-hmm. and do those do those uh, mimic each other, or is social media or gaming contributing to something that is already existing mm-hmm. uh, within society? So certainly we we don't know enough. A lot of the research we have on on. Uh, children and young people, much of it is is very survey based, a lot of it is quantitative, we don't have a lot of qualitative research really trying to understand their everyday lives and their their sort of views so sort of trying to look for, you know move towards that. What we also don't have a lot of research on is even younger children, so those under the age of 12 sort of pre-adolescent children, there is really a a very dearth of research hmm. uh, focusing on on that that you know sex segment of of childhood.
0: Huh, interesting. And is there any research on you know potentially some of the positive effects of technology on well-being? Like is that possible as well? It, I mean, often we talk about it in terms of, you know, the the negative effects on well-being from all this technology of screen time, but you know, could there be positive benefits?
1: Certainly. I mean, I think the pos- some of the positive benefits can be the skills, the, the sort of generic skills that children um, uh, develop being online, being able to multitask, being able to do things, uh, uh, and sort of these generic skills that, that obviously uh, the world of work or society requires. Um, mm. as, as we move many of our services and our jobs become more and more um, requiring these kinds of technological skills. I mean, given COVID right now, it's very good that some of us have to have been tech savvy and we're able to move our work online and can still do the jobs that we're, we're uh, tasked to do, uh, des- despite, you know, the, uh, not being able to meet face-to-face, although I, I would prefer the face-to-face personally. <laughs> uh the online thing is great for it for a period of time but it's not something that i would like to to have in in the long run so i think we need a balanced approach obviously but certainly there are a lot of things that 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 technology offers children um also i think technology offers children a kind of or it can offer us a personalized opportunity for some children so that education can be perhaps more uh, individ- uh not individualized in in terms of that, but can be more adapted to to personal you know um, attributes or personal needs um, mm. through technology. Yeah. Certainly, so technology allows us um, to provide other things that perhaps the the regular you know lecture face to face teaching and learning situation has not um, been able to provide. Uh, for children, but I think we need to look at children in a, in a broader perspective. So, so, I think what we're missing is some of the, the, um, the positive aspects of technology in looking at how technology surrounds the different ecosystems of, young, uh, of children and young people today. So, in other words, the different systems that surround children, not just in schools, but as we see now with COVID, families are really important. Parents are really important, the home aspect is really important.
0: Hmm. I don't
1: think we got a sense of what what parents really do uh, to to support their children's education. We're getting a much bigger picture today than probably we had six months ago or a year ago. Huh. That's one aspect. So understanding the role of the family or the home, Uh, in supporting children's education but how do children use their leisure time what can we learn from their leisure time how can leisure time promote so sort of that informal learning that happens um, so it's not just the school setting or how are children becoming digital citizens through the use of of you know how is their civic participation uh, developed through the use of say online campaigns or okay we may like something or we may speak out about something Um, because I think young children today or young people today are less active in the sort of traditional sense of politics but in the so how do we also um, uh, what would I say how do we uh, use that technology and their 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 use of, say, social media to promote a kind of participation
0: hmm.
1: within, you know, civics and democracy.
0: Do, do you think the pandemic, uh, you earlier said that the pandemic has sort of pushed us forward 10 years in the use of technology in schools. Do you also think that the pandemic, in a sense, has pushed us forward, like as a global society and maybe, you know, particularly in the European society, has it pushed us societies forward in in achieving that idea of digital citizenship and you know being you know being able to actually understand more clearly how children are using technology in their leisure time like are we are we going to come out of this pandemic and have a much better understanding and that understanding then could change the way we sort of plan for education uh think about education operate schools like is this going to have a long-term effect um when it comes to technology
1: well i'm not so sure if we've gotten enough information from the pandemic on how children are using sort of technology in their in their leisure time but i think certainly we we are getting a sense of um, some of the technology that's surrounding children what are the things they are using what are the things they have access to so so it's sort of going back to that sort of, in a sense, first level divide uh, discussion, second level divide discussion, sort of you know the access and connectivity, but also the readiness and the skill sets that that children have, um both what they've learned in school perhaps, but also what they're able to gain from that that leisure time use. So so children who have maybe been very savvy on social media. Or have spent a lot of their free time gaming or doing other kinds of activities related to technology, making YouTube videos or TikTok or whatever it is that they're doing. Um, so that though the way that they are able to use those skills, in a sense, um, I think has given us some indication. Of course, it will be interesting to look at some of this uh, post-COVID Um for myself and the research project I'm leading, um, this EU project called DigiGen, that's some of the things that we are planning to look at. Of course, the project was designed before COVID. Um, <laughs> we're in COVID and we have to, of course, talk about the elephant in the room. So so it will be a challenge to, to sort of sort out what was pre-COVID and what was um, because of the pandemic. but. But I think looking at the ways in which we can we can build on the skill sets that children and young people get from from the use of technology in their free time and how we can u- build on that in education will certainly be an important part uh, of the way in which we move forward.
0: and And I think you should please come back on Fresh Ed when you finish the project and have you know you can answer some of these questions that we've talked about. Today. It would be really wonderful to to get a sense of what's happening in, in, you know, the digital generation of today and, what you know, their digital citizenship. I mean, just so many interesting questions um, and also about the teachers and families that we've talked about as well. So, Hala, Homer's daughter, thank you so much for joining Fresh Ed today. It really was a pleasure of talking.
1: Great. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to coming back when we
0: have some more data to report or our findings in, in about two years or so Paula Homer's daughter is a professor at the Oslo Metropolitan University in Norway. she coordinates the Digigen research project. A transcript of today's interview can be found at freshedpodcast.com Please note that opinions expressed on fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not freshed which takes no institutional position. If you've liked what you've heard today please consider rating us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews really do help. FreshEd's team includes Sherry Yang, Hung Zong, Lushik Waba, Fatih Octus, and Ing Jung Cho. Original music for FreshEd was created by Digital Primate. FreshEd is an independently run podcast without advertisements and is made possible by the support of the Open Society Foundations, NORAG, and listeners like you. Please consider donating to FreshEd by visiting freshedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back next week.